0: Welcome to Podcast One. We hope you'll support our sponsors who bring you these podcasts absolutely free and with limited interruptions. And of course, we appreciate you listening to this show, which will get started in just a second. HBO's Game of Thrones is back for its seventh season. Winter is finally here, and so are the White Walkers. Will the seven kingdoms of Westeros survive the threat from the north, or will they fall in the looming war for the Iron Throne? After you're done watching an episode, join the discussion here on the Game of Thrones After Show on Podcast One. Every week, our hosts discuss each episode in detail, from shocking twists to fan theories, as the series chronicles the violent struggle among the realm's noble families for ultimate power. Join the fray every week on PodcastOne.com, the Podcast One app, or subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Podcast One presents Starving for Attention with Richard Blaze, an entertaining behind-the-scenes look at the world of food, where you'll hear from anyone and everyone in the culinary industry, including restaurateurs, TV hosts, famous chefs, producers of your favorite cooking shows, and many more. Now, here's your host, Richard Blaze.
1: Hey, everyone. Welcome to Starving for Attention, a podcast that recently has ranked 19 on the Apple Podcasts Arts category. That's a big moment for me. I'm really excited. Like 19, like we've broken into the top 20. And I know this because I continually hit refresh on the rankings list. All the
2: time. Like, you
1: know that I do this.
2: Yeah. I see the, I see the, the light at night.
1: Refresh. It's refresh. Refresh. Going and going and going. Send a tweet. Refresh. Uh, but listen, it is a, a pretty big deal. Um, and uh, it also tells you a lot, I think, about my social calendar that I just spend my nights hitting refresh right. on the – yeah. Apple podcast ranking uh, list. Uh, but here's the thing. you know, My calendar, Jasmine, you know this more than anyone else. My calendar is pretty full. I mean, I'm um, involved in a ton of restaurants. There's lots of new concepts we're working on. We're working with brands. We're doing live cooking shows and speaking engagements. And it's, it's a small world at that level. It's, it's a little bit like how I'd imagine it is for a stand-up comedian. Mm. It's like city after city. You know, it's it's hotels and food. Like you exer- you land, you sleep, you exercise, you eat, you go to your show, and you jump on a plane, uh, and you fly back. And that's a pretty good chunk of my life. And it's it's actually the grind of it's pretty boring for me, uh, because I'm a nerd.
2: And you're not um, a stand up comedian.
1: And I'm not. <laughs> and obviously, I'm not a stand up comedian. Although I, I aspire to be one. I I'm know. ready for some open mic stuff. I know. Like Comedy I'm ready soon. to just get booed off by, like, normal people. I don't
2: know if you're actually ready for that.
1: <laughs> I am ready for it. I'm absolutely ready for the failure of, of doing some open mics. So okay. if you know some clubs that want to bring someone on who's known as a chef and makes a couple bad dad jokes every once in a while. <laughs> well,
2: um, food jokes are popular. That's food. Food bits are.
1: Food bits are popular. Well, my, you know, the thing is, like, comedians, I mean, you can find, like, a whole Spotify playlist on just comedians talking, talking about, food. about food, right? Oh. I mean, Gaffigan has made almost a oh, career yeah. of it. Um, so, I mean, people do talk about food, but you know what it is, is I do well with people who know me and I tell jokes and they laugh cause they know me, they already like me. But in front of a room of people that you don't know, I, I'm not quite sure. You might be right. I'm not sure if I'm up for that. Um, but also like when I'm traveling, I'm such a nerd. Like I, you, you know, this and you get mad at me that I'll, I'll travel with like a PlayStation.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I know. Because I mean,
1: but isn't it better than like I could be causing trouble? I could be up all night. That's very innocent. um, So like I just play video games. I'm a total nerd. Um, So I travel with a PlayStation. But I also, because I'm a molecular gastronomist, (laughs) will travel with uh, all my molecular gastronomy ingredients. Right. So I often travel with 29 miscellaneous white powders. Yeah. Which makes me very little bags. It makes me very important to TSA. They yeah. love that, yeah. by the way. And
2: now I get – my bags get searched every time, every trip now. Just because you
1: have the same Just last association. name? association. Yeah, I think you're, you're on a list. list. <laughs> you're on a list. <laughs> you're on the molecular I, gastronomy and, watch list. Yeah, and
2: I'm on the associate
1: um, But it's always one of the things like when they're popping up, you know, popping open all of my little containers because I'm a science chef. <laughs> and I'm like, no, that's, oh, that's xanthan gum. That's lecithin. You don't need to taste that. The dogs don't need to come in. For right. that, right. although the dogs do respond uh, to methyl cellulose, that's an ingredient that usually gets them to stop hmm. at the TSA desk. So I'm, I'm I'm a nightmare um, at an airport. Yeah. Um,
2: well, you got a full pat down the last time we were in an airport. Oh, in, in front I to- of our kids too.
1: Well, because okay, God. I got a full pat down. This happens to me, and here's why. Um, especially when I'm performing or I'm in front of a camera, I wear tight pants because <laughs> I want to look nice and svelte. Right. And. You can't be the
2: only person wearing tight pants. I wear silk
1: underwear (laughs) as well. Like they're not silk per se. Like they're not officially silk, but they're they're slippery Uh so that I can get my tight jeans on. But one of my pairs of underwear has a little metal button on it. And I always forget on a day that I'm traveling, if I'm wearing those underwear, it beeps every time I go through the radar yeah. thing right No, is it radar crotch. no the yeah uh x-ray x-ray not radar yeah. it beeps when i go through the x-ray machine and it's you were there the last time
2: oh my god and you look at the screen it of, like you're wearing yellow underwear like, it, it looked
1: like there was up. a storm system coming through the ohio river valley <laughs> yeah. like it looked like doppler radar like my whole crotch was just yellow yeah. squares just bad. and to the point where they're like do you want to do this here or do you want to do this right. inside
2: and you're like, well, it's an empty airport. So it's an empty right airport. Here in front of my family.
1: I've been traveling without my wife for a while. We might as well just do this right here in front of everyone. That's what I'm into. And then they do the full frontal crotch pat down on me. Not because I'm a molecular gastronomist, just because I had silky underwear with a metal button. Me,
2: do they use the back of their hand with you? Like with, uh, in, in your private area? Do they use the. Because the that's the thing with, with women, they use the back of their hand. The PP. They area? announce that they're going to use the back of their hand.
1: They tell you they're coming in. They tell you they're coming in. I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to touch you between your legs, and uh, they do with the back of their hand, tap on your pee pee a little bit. Uh, which is I've gotten used to it at this point because it's been like three or four times. I yeah. got to stop wearing those underwear. By the way, well, and, you
2: do. Otherwise, it becomes a little like clinical. Like maybe you're doing it like I purpose, want it, right? <laughs> right? Like,
1: like I don't know it, but I I, yeah. I accidentally always pack. Subconsciously, you just
2: like yeah, I'm gonna wear these today.
1: Yeah, but I do wish we took a screenshot of that last like time oh, yeah. I went through because it was all over the place. Like I don't even know what it was. Yeah. Um, but I do like I I, I, I like the traveling also you know why I like travel this is weird for a chef to say because I think most people associate airports and airlines with horrible food mm. but I actually kind of enjoy the process of dining in an airport or even on an airplane and I know you do too you're like making a weird face you can't, they can't, people can't see it well, but you eat so many bananas and sun chips
2: <laughs> I like free food
1: that's my word. oh that's what it is I, so have, like,
2: no, I have no uh, qualms of, with free food it could be anything I don't care and I'm going to get
1: That's true. And I'm
2: going to take an extra one.
1: Yeah. So. A lot of people do that with the alcohol on a plane. Yeah. Because if especially if you're up front, it's all free. It's like, "What? <laughs> I'm going to have a bottle of Cabernet on this flight." Yeah. Which I never really understand. I don't drink no, really no. that much, so yeah. I don't doesn't make sense to me. But no. I actually like also the meal. Like I actually like the meals So I'm an omelet connoisseur. You know this. I make omelets at home, three egg omelets, Mm -hmm. French style, no color. Uh, And every once in a while, because I'm a chef, I'll have like a black truffle. And I've been known to take a true or, you know, a real black truffle on an airplane in my pocket, and then be that guy who's sitting next to someone on a plane, and then I pull out my little black truffle and I.
2: This could be why you light up the X-ray machine.
1: Maybe because I have like, uh, like
2: <laughs> black truffle,
1: wild earth scattered all over my body. Yeah, but that'll make your seatmate give you a little funny face. Jealous. When you're like shaving a real black uh, yeah. uh, truffle over uh, some powdered eggs in an omelet. Um, and I've even done a rankings. Like, listen, you know I fly Delta a lot. Yes. I'm a Delta loyalist, but I also fly United a lot.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, United's got better omelets.
2: Yeah, you told me that.
1: Yeah, I'm trying to also work the uh, Delta gig where I can come in as one of their chefs. Yeah. So there is there Good is, is that you. side of it. But you don't, eat, you, you don't eat any of the real food that they, they serve on airplanes, do you?
2: No, I do. But, you know, I, I never order the omelet. I always get the cereal. And it's like a... Mixed grain, porridge. That's, a, that's an
1: issue that I have w- yeah. with you, to be honest. Like Not I only order, on airplanes, yeah. though. This is, you do this in restaurants. Yeah, I, like, I feel like when you go out, to, especially <laughs> when you go out to breakfast, quick little left turn here. <laughs> you are, the, are uh, the person who orders granola and yogurt and cereal for brunch. I know. And not like at, we, we just had an amazing uh, brunch this morning at Destroyer. Yeah, in L.A. Here in L.A., which is Jordan Kahn, an amazing chef. And like, I almost that's,
2: ordered the oatmeal there.
1: <laughs> I'm glad you didn't, although his would have been like, you know, there would, would have, have been, been amazing. 29 botanicals right. hanging a from a glass bowl onto and, it because yeah. he, he's amazing. Yeah, um, But you do, you order the yogurt, which is kind of like a cop-out move. I order, order the, the oatmeal
2: more than the yogurt, probably.
1: yeah well you're also healthy yeah people know you they follow you at blaze for me on twitter and at jasmine blaze on instagram uh and they also follow you at starving for pod the number four because you handle that account don't you
2: uh i handle the instagram one you handle the twitter kind of war you know
1: we are in a war yeah i need to get (laughs) get back to get back to work on that uh but listen you know uh airplanes and chefs and flying around and endorsements uh and you know working on new concepts and winning awards there are not too many people who know that world but our guest today does uh, he knows that world he travels all over the place as well he does it with a lot more style uh, than i do he's a top chef winner food and wine best new chef owner of a gq restaurant of the year and currently wearing a size 26 jean michael voltaggio is here another chef that i love cooking with it's green chef they're a USDA-certified organic meal kit service that gives you everything you need to make five-star meals in the comfort of your own home. You get high-quality, premium organic ingredients and Easy to follow, chef-crafted recipes delivered right to your door. You'll also love that Green Chef does most of the prep work for you. Each box comes with pre-made signature sauces and some ingredients already pre-chopped. I mean, think like onions or butternut squash. Who's got time uh, to chop those? More flavor in less time. What's not to love about that? They also have a meal plan for everyone, like vegan, paleo, gluten-free, and more. Uh, This week, I actually went vegan, and it's super easy to switch. Which meal plans? Uh, so you can try even more great recipes. I mean, to be honest, Jasmine, you remember, uh, I cooked all of those yeah. uh, Green Chef meals. <laughs> you treated it like a, a challenge. <laughs> I treated it like it was the Green Chef Challenge. I yeah. cooked all of the all dishes, of the,
2: all three of them, all before nine a.m.
1: There was the, all before nine a.m. Yeah, they were all delicious. It the worked. whole family ate ate them. Uh, I did that carrot dish that they had with edamame and corn succotash, Kids plus loved them. Yeah. the cabbage slaw with Brussels sprouts and vegan cilantro mm-hmm. cumin. That was the one
2: with the quinoa. That was the one the girls ate. Up.
1: Oh, that one was uh, the, the Green Chef's vegan sog-stuffed portobello, yeah, yeah, that and one. it was served with this quinoa studded with almonds, peas, and currants, which, by the way, currants are so underrated. Tiny little raisins. They're mm, adorable. Uh, plus, that dish had the uh, chutney-spiced rainbow carrot salad, uh, oh, which yeah. who knew that carrots could be that delicious? It was really good. It was really, really good. Uh, and then we also cooked Green Chef's vegan grilled zucchini salad with crisp snap peas, Creamy avocado and tons of veggies all tossed in a tangy balsamic vinaigrette topped with spiced chickpeas. I really enjoyed it. It was really good stuff. I will, I'm going to use it again. Yeah, definitely. Um, absolutely delicious. And they do the right work. They do all the seasoning stuff for you.
2: Right. And yeah. they
1: give you some work to do like while things are cooking, but it was effortless. I mean, I felt like it was effortless. It's yeah. really, really good. So if you want to eat restaurant quality meals at home, just go to greenchef.us slash Richard. And you'll get $50 off your first box. That's greenchef.us. Get your own slash. Slash Richard for $50 off. Trust me, you don't need my skills to cook delicious meals with Green Chef. I'd probably mess it up, actually. Green Chef does a better job. Up next, a new way to earn. Okay, everyone, listen. The protein of the future is here. uh, And it's really small. It reproduces easily. And it's absolutely delicious. That's right. Crickets. And farming urban crickets... Is recruiting now. Do you have a spare broom closet or possibly access to some rooftop space where you could house, let's say, 50 to 90,000 crickets? Uh, It's easy to set up and maintain, and farming urban crickets wants to help you become a farmer. Ah. Cricket Farmer. All the perks and none of the mess of regular farming. Well, a little mess, but mostly it's just cricket poop. You buy all the supplies and they'll help you get on your way to cricket farming fame and fortune. And if you visit their website, www.whatthefuc.com, that's farming urban crickets, now using the promo code hashtag starvingforpod, they'll throw in 10,000 cricket eggs. I didn't even know crickets made eggs for free. Don't wait. Start your new career or side hustle now. Uh, and Chef Michael Voltaggio is here. Like we said, he was joining us. Chef, what do you think about, like, the... I'm (laughs) ready
3: to start farming crickets. Exactly. (laughs) That's it. it.
1: If that's the only reason I came (laughs) here today, sign me up. I feel like, like, so we do these things where those are just ideas. That's uh, uh, one of Jasmine's ideas.
2: fake ad. Because she's sort of the... I don't want to be the bug person. You're the
1: cupboard chef of <laughs> okay, the family. Like you're fermenting, you fermenting everything. She's making all of her own bread. She's yeah. far, like she has praying mantises as pets. You had me at F U C, though. That was that's, that's, yeah. that's it.
3: That's kind the, of the that's kicker the right there. Yeah. But
1: you know, so where are you on the modernist uh, stance of like the new protein. Chefs cooking insects and insects as food.
3: You know, I I mean, I've been to Cambodia and I've been to places where they had to eat it because they needed protein out of necessity. They had to eat certain things. And so for me, it's like we don't – we're not necessarily there yet. I'm supporting it because I think it's necessary in case we need protein alternatives. But I still like to eat chicken.
1: Yeah, me too. It kind of grosses me out. We were saying before it kind of grosses me out. There obviously is this ethical sort of worldview of like it is the protein of the future.
2: I would choose pea protein though. If I could, I don't, I mean, I don't know about the differences and what about, what about cricket pee? Uh, See, listen, we have, we have crickets at home because we have praying mantises. You feed praying
1: mantises, crickets, but you're not chomping down crickets with a nice cold beer from hopsy. You're not doing that every once in a while, are you? No. Um, But you know what? I think what chef, you know this, like, so I've had to eat insects, you know, as I travel, as you have, I'm sure some of them though, like there's flavor involved.
3: Yeah, you know, I ate a tarantula once and that oh, was probably the worst oh, and it was all crispy and crunchy and, you know, you're there and you're in the moment and then like I ripped it open and there was oh. eggs inside. Oh, oh So I'm like scared of spiders. So I look at this thing <laughs> and I'm like, I'm going to get you back. I'm going to eat you and your babies. And I just like, <laughs> it's like
2: eating
3: your caviar. Yeah. Not a good idea. Oh, my gosh. Not a good idea. Was it furry though? It was crunchy because it, like everything else that doesn't taste good, they just cover it in chili powder and lemon or lime right? Or right, and right so yeah. that's what it tastes like until psychologically your brain tells you, I'm eating a spider. So I think crickets are kind of the same thing. Like I've done the ants at Noma and I've done, the, I've done all of that stuff. I'm not craving it. Yeah. No. I don't right. need
1: to eat it again. It was good in the moment like the experience was good right well that kind, of, that kind of leads me into a really interesting topic so you said you're not craving it so um, you know what other people what most people don't crave they don't crave molecular gastronomy Right? Where, how do you feel about even the term? Because like, I'm going to say most people probably or some people refer to you as a molecular gastronomist. Sure.
3: I mean for me, I think I've I've definitely learned the techniques so that I could have a good understanding of what I liked and didn't like about it. And then I still employ a lot of the same techniques that I was using that I'll say were in style five years ago. I still use some of those things as part of my repertoire. But at the same time, um, I do think that people are getting back to just wanting delicious food too. So I think it's – if as an artist, I like to use that word as a chef because i still think some of us are that it's fun to be able to take some of those mediums and apply them to your to your discipline but at the same time at the end of the day you need to feed
1: people food but you never refer to your own cuisine as molecular gastronomy right i never refer
3: to my own (laughs) cuisine period like everyone's like what kind of chef or what kind of restaurant are you i'm like i have no idea
1: right i just cook stuff i cook delicious food but you also mentioned the whole you went to the whole artist thing and like you're you're an artist and you said not many people can. You're right. I mean, we just had uh, breakfast at Destroyer. Jordan's an artist.
3: Yeah. Um, in a lot more ways than just cooking. I mean, Jordan right. is yeah. an artist outside of just the cooking part of it too.
1: Absolutely. But um, so you never called your food molecular gastronomy. You don't even know – but that's kind of weird coming from you that – you. so you've, you don't ref- – I mean, it's modernist? Or- yeah, I would
3: say I, I apply modern
1: technique to – very classic
3: discipline of cooking that I – I mean I learned how to cook at the Greenbrier Hotel. Like how can – I mean you can't get much more classic than that. Um, but working with guys like Jose Andres, like I never heard those terms used in his kitchens either. And so it was more about just adopting certain techniques to improve or change the food experience a little bit but not define your style
1: of food sure. by Do, it. Does it irritate you when you hear the term – or if someone referred to you as a molecular gastronomist, does that bother you? Because it bothers me a little bit. Luckily,
2: yeah. that term's kind of fading. It
3: I is. Like. Well, because to me, I don't, it's like, like when you go to like a, a fried chicken place, you don't call him like a fryer. You know, you're a fryer, <laughs> right, chef. You right, know, it's like right. you go there and eat fried chicken. Like they're not like you're a classic standard breading procedure.
2: Yeah,
1: Like right. it's, you know, and for me it's like An SBP
3: Who At the end of the day, of who cares? Like just put it in your mouth and eat it And if you need to define it or have some reason to explain it Then go start a blog somewhere and maybe somebody will read it
1: Yeah, because I mean, you, I like hip hop I think you like hip hop as well Love. Um, And I feel like it, it reminds me of sort of like The difference between hip hop versus rap music Yeah, for sure Like hip hop is like a culture And rap I feel like is just a name that someone put on that music genre but now it's all
3: mixing together and people aren't necessarily hating on it you know they're not like and that's my point like with the term molecular gastronomy how about the fact that we're just using technology to like they're not calling these molecular phones like the technology is just getting better so that you can do more and there's more conveniences that come with that and there's shortcuts and things that make it easier to use this device that we carry around in our pocket but no one's trying to define it everyone's just appreciating it and using it
1: it makes your experience better and it, it just is an Evolution, and there, and you know, it, it reminds me of chefs. Who are like oh, I do, rustic, right, right. Chefs, it's like the rotary phone. Yeah, like if you can use science and technology to make your food more delicious. Then that's what you're going to do. They're not talking on a walkie-talkie though when they're cooking their rustic food. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> they they're not, not well. sending. Yeah. They're not sending messages well, in a bottle. Yeah. I kind of like that. Though. <laughs> or, or like yeah, like a pigeon, uh, via via oh, pigeon. Yeah. pigeon. They yeah. would cook
3: yeah. the pigeon. I only yeah. <laughs> I only send people text messages via my pigeon.
1: Yeah. I kind of like that with the whole texting and driving. I was thinking when you were driving up here, it's like, you know, it'd are be you saying old.
2: I was texting and driving mm-hmm. up here? No, but wow, every once in a while you'll Blast look at
1: your him. phone. Yes. You'll look at your phone. And I was like, well, why don't you just take it old school? Just put a book on your lap. And I think that drives home the danger of it uh, a little bit more do you feel because you're ultra creative uh, and this is sort of therapy for me asking you this is do you feel pressure to have to be Creative, you know it's funny. Alex Talbot, ideas
3: and food. You know Alex, yeah. we all grew up looking at his blog, which is one of my favorites still to this day. He sent me this uh, picture of like building blocks, and it was an ABC building block one day, and it just like the kids' blocks, and it said "Always be creative." And that was the, and it doesn't necessarily mean be creative for creative sake. It just means to challenge your brain to think a little bit outside the box. Um, you know, even with a a grilled cheese sandwich, for instance. You know, the fact that like I use mayonnaise on the outside of the bread instead of butter, and I. I didn't create that, but to me it's a creative solution to pulling out the butter, letting it temper, and then yeah. having to – or spread it on the bread until you poke a hole all the way through the bread because the butter's so cold but you're so frustrated and you don't have time because you're such a busy person to spread butter. Take the mayonnaise out, spreads right on. Put it in the pan, crispy grilled cheese sandwiches every single time.
1: It's like you were at our house this morning. Yeah. <laughs> That's the worst part with the cold butter and then you that break is, the bread. Uh, the mayonnaise is a great – so you think a lot of times it's just a solution to a problem. I think – yeah, it's – Absolutely. Creativity to me is, is,
3: is, you know, from an artist's perspective, definitely trying to do something a bit differently. But also, like you said, Chef, putting a, a solution to a problem or providing another convenience or the way to, to do something faster or better or easier.
1: And I love how you mentioned ideas and food because you're right. I mean, it's, it's, it's still something that I'll turn to. It's a, it's a great website. They're ultra creative thinkers. But I really have loved watching their evolution. Right. I feel like it's now it's a lot more baking and the the food is just as scientific, but it seems simpler and more perhaps more enjoyable to the average person. And I think that's a such a good point. It's like they're
3: still using air quotes. You guys can't see that molecular (laughs) gastronomy. Right. But that is baking that is pastry that is making pasta you know alex is very good at determining what hydration levels are the best for making the perfect pasta dough and things like that and so there's no difference to me in that versus making a spherified olive with jose and ferran and all those guys i think it's the same thing um it just we throw labels on things
2: so do you feel i mean the opposite side of that would be do you feel like you have to sneak your creativity in Like if people are wanting a little bit more comfort food and things like that, do you not talk about the creativity that you're using?
3: Yeah, we definitely don't do that. And the servers, like as good as they are at the restaurants, they try and remember every single thing that's in every single dish. And I say to them, you know, I love the fact that you guys are so interested, but when you're describing a dish at the table – You don't have to tell them every single time and temperature and technique that goes into the dish because in some cases leave leave a little bit of mystery. To me, it's like a magician being like, "Okay, guys, all right. You like that trick? Let me show you exactly how I did it. And then they like sit there and
1: like, look, see the string hanging down from the ceiling? That's why it was floating. And that was something that I had to overcome – Personally, where like, I would write a menu item, you know, 10 years ago and it'd be like lamb cooked in a plastic bag yeah. for 72 hours under vacuum. Yeah. And it's then just, I realized idea. that's a little too much, right? It comes off as pretentious a bit.
3: And then people started underwriting their menus. So it would say lamb, peas, yogurt. Right. And people are like, Cool. Then some people are just expecting a piece of lamb with a pile of peas and a dollop of yogurt, right. and all of a sudden you get this, you know, pea coolie and this lamb, this yogurt foam, and this perfectly cooks, and they're like. Huh. And either they have a good reaction to it or they have a bad reaction to it. But I think there's an element of surprise there that, you know, authoring menus is a good example of, of the opportunity to still surprise your guests when they come in. A lot of times they do the research, they look at the menu, they come in the restaurant, and you can't surprise them until they eat the food.
1: Right. That's, I, I didn't know we were going to get into sort of the writing workshop part of this, but you're right. Yeah, how, have you, how have you evolved as a writer when you're writing menus?
3: You know, what's funny is I try and I'm not as good at it as I'll bring up Jose Andres again, because he's always very good at like adding little things like shrimp cocktail. Yeah, right. So it's like you read it and you're like, okay, there's going to be a little bit more to it. But that reaction that you guys just had, that's the fun about what we do. You know, that's that's exactly what we're looking for. And so if you can find opportunities to throw little surprises like that, like today, we we're putting a cucumber dish on the menu tonight, and it's caramelized buttermilk, curds, and blah, blah, blah. But at the end of it, it says dill pickle flavor. Well, what's a dill pickle flavor? We're putting dill oil and vinegar in the dish. Right. But when people read that, they're going to say, hmm, dill pickle flavor, what is that? Well, it's vinegar and dill right. and salt. And Cucumbers,
1: and it's also cool. I like that, and yeah, it's also the thing that probably gets some people to order the dish, right? Exactly,
3: like the chefs wanted to write, like you know, and the whey is turned into a dressing, and blah blah. I'm like, most people don't know what whey is, right? Like, they don't care. And if you're talking about whey or weighing and weight with food, they won't order it because they think it's going to make them heavier, you know? So it's like. You have to get you have
1: to get creative with it. So when you're doing uh, lineup in your restaurants, are you talking to your staff about how they should you know discuss educate the guests without seemingly educate them? We have to educate them because of the food allergies and the stuff like that. Like
3: right. as chefs and as restaurant operators, you know, there's we're we're like we're we're therapists, we're doctors. We have to know every food allergy. Like we can kill people in our restaurants. People don't actually realize that, but that's pretty yeah, intimidating. It's a so deal. yeah, so we try and talk them through every single thing. It's It's what they articulate to the guests that we then have to retrain on. So we want them to take in the information and retain that, but at the same time, that's more for an awareness and an education so that they can answer the appropriate – have the appropriate answers to the questions. But we want them to describe the dish so there's still some element of surprise. Here's your beef with mashed potatoes and carrots, but it's something different.
1: Where's your – what's your take on the no substitutions, no changes? Uh, That's like
3: saying no hospitality to me.
1: Oh, I love that. Love that answer.
3: Yeah, I feel like, you know, if we don't let people cut and paste, but if you can't have something on a dish and we can still make it for you, then we do our best to do that. But you can't say like, I want to take this from the beef dish and put it on the bass dish. If you want to have it without, Garlic, then we'll do our best to do that because at the end of the day, we're still in the hospitality
1: industry. One of my favorite stories is uh, a long time ago, you might have even been working in this restaurant, Jasmine, where the mm-hmm. s- server sends in the you know, C server, they want the salmon with just broccoli. And like, no <laughs> broccoli is in the restaurant. It's like, oh, what is, what, that's, you know, like we they can probably service. do it yeah, if, we, if there's a store across the street, but you can't just assume that we can do anything. But as people in the hospitality industry, we'll do as, as much as we can to make people happy. Right? Absolutely. And I, for me, I feel like that's the whole goal. Like, why, why are you doing this insane business? Michael Voltaggio? like, why – what's in it for like – what do you get from like cooking every day, every night? You know, to be honest,
3: I still like the comments from the – I still like the comments from the guests. Like, I still like to hear people say – Wow, we've not eaten like this before. I had no idea that could happen. Or what my favorite one is, is, and I don't get it still, but they say it. We came in here not wanting to have a great experience, but you turned <laughs> us around. I want to be like, why did you come in here in the first
1: place then? Like you oh, came in here to complain. So I like that. So you think now that is because you're super creative, right? So people huh. think they're coming in for an art show and they don't expect dinner. And when they get an art show and dinner –
3: Or they expect like me being – like I'm a robot or something or like I don't care about why they're – and that's not true. Like I grew up working – like my first jobs in kitchens were for like – like I said, the Greenbrier, the Ritz-Carlton Hotel Company. Like I learned hospitality before I learned how to cook. Right. And then I mixed those two together and I found that that discipline of hospitality was equally as important as the discipline of cooking.
1: So that's interesting. Listen, so the Greenbrier, this is also a world-renowned uh, facility. I mean you're making like it's uh, the corner diner. I mean it's a pretty amazing <laughs> place where a lot of chefs go to earn their stripes. Yeah. Um, what made you go from maybe a, a more classical American sort of uh, genre of food to, to where you're at now? I saw
3: a French chef cooking. I was working at a Ritz-Carlton actually and the chef – in the kitchen next to me was doing the French, it was called the dining room back in the day. There was a grill room and a dining room. I was right. the chef of the steakhouse and then the French dining room. And I saw his food and I remember looking at the plates and not being able to identify every ingredient on the plate, but thinking to myself, wow, that looks really beautiful. I want to I make that. Like I want to make stuff that looks like that. But then I tasted it and I had the same reaction. And I'm like, holy crap, like not only does it look amazing, but you can make it taste different. And, and it, it just, it did something to me that, I want it to be able to do for other people and for other chefs.
1: To just continually – just to make them ha- – I mean you're just – Surprising. T- to just right. to, supr-
3: to surprise. You know, who doesn't want to be surprised? Even people that are like, I don't want a surprise party. Secretly, they're like, I hope they throw me a surprise party. <laughs> this is
1: true. This is true, which by the way, um, for next year, I think. Okay. Can we um, do a surprise? Right, a yeah, surprise yeah. party. Um, taking a break from the Michael Voltaggio interview uh, with something important to say. Uh, in order to feel comfortable that you're getting a fair price – You need pricing context, information that empowers you to feel confident. With TrueCar, you'll see what other people in your local market paid for the car you want. From there, you can connect with a local TrueCar certified dealer and enjoy a more confident car buying experience. That's something that we all want. Using TrueCar, you can easily find the car that you want. TrueCar will show you what other people in your area paid for the car you want. Now you know what a fair price is, so you can feel extra confident. Once you register, You'll see real pricing on actual inventory, cars that exist. This is competitive pricing offered to you only by a TrueCar certified dealer for an actual vehicle on their lot. It's pricing you'll see before going to a dealership so you can feel confident when you show up. With TrueCar, you can connect with a local certified dealer of your choosing so you can enjoy a quick, Easy buying experience. That's something that I definitely want. TrueCar customers are more likely to enjoy a faster buying process when they connect with TrueCar certified dealers. TrueCar users save an average of over $3,000 off MSRP. TrueCar's Show their customer all of their available incentives before they even arrive at their dealership. That's amazing. Over 3 million cars have been sold to TrueCar users by the TrueCar Certified Dealer Network, and there are over 13,000 TrueCar Certified dealers nationwide. When you're ready to buy, visit TrueCar to enjoy a more confident car buying experience. Some features are not available in all states.
0: Hey, have you heard? Podcast One has a whole bunch of awesome new shows filled with big names that are waiting for you on our brand new amazing app. This one's a game changer. There's Norman Lear talking to Amy Poehler, Julia Louis-Dreyfus, and Charles Barkley. Geffen Playhouse Unscripted with Brian Cranston, Josh Gad, and soon, Neil Patrick Harris. Nice! OC Real Housewife, Heather Dubrow's World, Lady Gang's Three Mimosa Podcast with Leah Michelle, Nelly Furtado, El King, and more. Plus, every episode of The Adam Carolla Show, Dan Patrick, and Rich Eisen. And if you like what happens in the ring, we've got Steve Austin, Chris Jericho, Chell Sonnen, and a whole bunch more. So download our one-of-a-kind new app and see for yourself go to the app store google play or download it now at podcast1.com you're listening to starving
1: for attention with richard blaze listen everyone knows also you're a top chef winner right and you strike me as the chef the type of chef who who probably would be like you know it's not for me i don't want to go on i don't want to go compete that's not what it's about i'm about you know doing my my food here in my restaurant what what made you go on top chef I wanted to do something
3: in cooking – like I wanted to bridge that gap between chefs and chefs that play chefs on TV and I think like when you were involved in it – there's a handful of guys I think and girls that were Stephanie involved in that Show and in shows like that show that I think brought some chef credibility to that type of competition show, and I think guys like you, myself, and my brother, and I mean I don't want to name the whole list of people, Kristen. I thought that's
1: about it. I, yeah, okay. really, <laughs> Stephanie
3: um, brought a, a, a sense of of, of th- there were chefs that were competing as opposed to. People that wanted to be on television. And I think that if you approach that exercise as a cooking competition, then you're there for the right reasons. And I wanted to compete. Like I wanted to be in a cooking competition. So where did
1: that come from? The s- sports or where did the competitive drive come from?
3: Yeah, I mean, I played sports growing up, but at the same time, I think that I always in my head wanted to also, this is the other side of it. And I just, I'm going to contradict myself in the same sentence. I wanted to do something that reached a lot of people. I wanted to entertain somehow. And I loved creative writing when I was a kid. I used to write poems and stories and the weird random stuff. And then I don't know. I found like I think that the fact that chefs have a bigger platform to do more gets us from the back of the house into the front of the house. Like we were the guys that they hid behind the wall and we were the weirdos that no one ever knew anything about. And then they wanted us to come stand table and talk to people. And all of a sudden it was like no one could do that. They're like, okay, yeah, yeah, hurry up and get away from my table. You're making me feel awkward. And now it's like, come speak to the entire world on our TVs. And it's like chefs that can do that and get a chance to get out there and use that Platform, I think it's a huge opportunity. So right off the bat, when you got the
1: ask or or they asked you to do it, you 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 knew you were going to do it right out right away.
3: I well, Marcel was my sous chef at Bazaar. That's right. That's right. And I was kind of like like busting his balls a little bit about in service, and I'm like, you know, blah blah blah, and make not making fun of it, but just sort of questioning the process. And he's like, well, if you think it's so easy or whatever, why don't you go do it? I'm like, I will. And I'm gonna win. <laughs> and like that was it, but then the whole thing spiraled into like the beer nominations, and my brother and I had both gotten nominated for the same category in the same year, so then they call and they're like, "Hey, you got a brother, right? Like oh,
1: so was the casting do you think it went that way where it was uh like did they ask you or Brian first, or it was a package deal the whole time, or how does that? no they so i I got onto the show
3: uh or they were interested in me, but during that process inquired about my brother. And all I did was give his contact information. And then we never spoke about it, like together, about it after that. Like they did their thing. And we showed up. It's not like, oh, I didn't know my brother was going to be there. But when I got, you know, it was like. They casted him separately of me. They casted me separately of him. And together, we just ended up in the same cooking competition.
1: Now, um, you know your brother's food, of course, right? Yeah. Uh, So going into it, did you know? Like this was – did you see sort of the casting behind it? Like it's brother versus brother the whole way here? Sort of,
3: yeah. But then when I arrived and I saw like Kevin Gillespie and Jen and like there was other – there were like – Mike is about, there was other serious chefs there. Yeah. I mean, so I'm like, kind of, I honestly, I'm like, shit, this is, can I say that? Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. So whatever You want. <laughs> I, you know, I'm like, I'm like, this is going to be harder than I thought. You know, at the, at first I just kind of wanted to come and show off and like cook and win a competition. And now it's like, oh crap, this is really going to be a competition.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's, you know, even with my slight personal bias, it's hard to say that your season of Top Chef wasn't. The that's deepest deep, talent yeah. pool yeah. in all of the seasons, uh, and not like you said, not just because of you and your brother, but because of. Uh, well, Jan I think
3: and every and Mike, like your season, it, there was probably two or three people right. that that were good. I think we we probably had a half a dozen that were like serious competitors. Truly, yeah. Yeah. I mean, some yeah. of the people who didn't even probably get you know Blakes. more than yeah. halfway. That fr- yeah. I think there were a, a bunch of really talented chefs for sure, yeah. and that that's a part of it that like. I was like, oh man, like I thought I was going to be competing with myself. I didn't think I was going to be there to compete with all these other people too.
1: Right. Now, um, you know, again, I, knowing the Top Chef world quite well, I know that it's a show with incredible integrity. But did you ever feel like it was sort of trying to set it up as the, the good brother versus the bad brother or? or, or yeah, I or, mean, of or,
3: course, you know, anytime you leave it in that faith of post-production right, or right. editing or whatever, you never, you know, it's like, I like to tell a story, like if I say that I don't like dogs that bark. Right. They can cut it at dogs. So now all of a sudden, you're the guy that doesn't you like don't dogs. don't like dogs, I don't dude, like dogs. Don't. And you're like, wait a second, I said dogs that bark. And it's like, and they're so good at building that so story. That. Um, like I tell people all the time, it's like my brother
1: was actually the mean one when we were there.
3: They just decided <laughs> that I was going to be the guy. Right. So...
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, until you told us that you were sort of afraid of spiders. I mean, you, you you have the look where you could be like, you know, the dark side. Oh, dude, I'm I'm terrified of spiders. Like,
3: and and like I'm the one like in the house in the dark. Like, it's like, what was that noise? Go check it out. Like,
1: you know what I mean? Like, I'm going to stay here and protect the bedroom.
2: Yeah.
1: Um. Now it ends up going down. It, it uh, obviously went all the way down to you and your brother, yeah. and that's got to be. There's got to be some like emotions that go into that. Outside of the fact that I know the emotions of just being up there, winning or losing. I
3: think we wanted it. We wanted it to be that. We right. didn't know that it was going to be that, and we weren't prepared for it. I think when it happened, and I think the the you know the thing I'll say is that I do believe that he's a better technician than I am. Um, So I think together we would have made a really good competitor. Oh, sure. (laughs) Because he's really, really good at everything. And I have a tendency to be a little bit more creative, but probably a little less – I don't want to say precise as he is, but Brian – Brian is just a good technician.
1: Yeah, it would be unfair if the Voltaggio brothers combined to be one robot. Like that would be like a little totally. unfair. That's like, like a transfor- That's yeah. like a yeah, horrible transformer yeah. for other competitors. <laughs> for other competitors. <laughs> um, so I have the question li- listed here just as the brother thing. How, I mean, is it, are there what are the pros and cons of the fact that you have this amazingly talented brother? You guys get you know. So I have the question li- listed here just as the brother thing. I mean, is it, are there what are the pros and cons of the fact that you have this amazingly talented brother? You guys get you know linked together a lot, but you're also separate people, and and your food's a little different. I'll start with a con.
3: The con at first was this competitive thing that we had with each other up until a certain point, and so he did. There was this jealousy. If he won something, I was jealous. If I won something, he was jealous. And there was it was almost this like secret. Desire for the other one to fail. Mm -hmm. And then we got over that and became grownups and said, why don't we start working together? And so now it's like who gets to have a brother, a best friend, a mentor who does the exact same thing that they do? And so now we're joining forces and we're building restaurants together and we're trying to do more together so we can share infrastructure, share ideas and support each other instead of hope for like, I hope his restaurant burns down today. <laughs>
1: right. um, you know what? And, and I will say this just as a fan, like you can see that now. So, like, we just did uh, Bottle Rock together. I didn't get a chance to stay for your show, but I saw, like, the highlights. And it's you and your brother, like, hopping around, like, Beastie Boys style, yeah. with House of Pain on stage. Jumping around su- in, a barrel, in grapes, a barrel of grapes to right. jump around. Right. Which is really fun. And, like, so obviously I, you guys have sort of embraced, you know, the angle.
3: If Getting my brother out there was probably <laughs> one of my biggest accomplishments okay. yeah, ever. Yeah, yeah, right. But then watching him do it and seeing how much funny fun he had, I'm right. like, yes! But Everlast was the hardest one to convince. He's like... I'm not really feeling that. And right – all the way up until right before we went on stage, I right. remember saying to him, understand, I'm such a huge fan of yours. Like I promise this is going to be cool. And then we got out there and it was like, "Bam, bam, bam, bam." And then Brian and I are stomping grapes to jump around. That was a crazy show. That's awesome.
1: Yeah. yeah. And, this, was and you're in a giant stockpot, right, or something like that. They were in wine barrels, yeah. yeah. They were wine barrels oh, full of right. grapes and – um, so, like you had mentioned, okay, it was it was a little bit more difficult to get Brian out there. So now you, though, know, I mean, you you sort of again, serious chef. How have you evolved to become more of a performer? than just the chef cuz that's part of it.
3: You know, I would say the same thing to you, honestly. Yeah. And I studied guys like you and and other people that transitioned from being the introverted sort of artist to mm. to recognizing that it's it's learning another skill set. So to me it's not unlike cooking. I wasn't good at television and to be honest, chef, I didn't you weren't great at it either no, in the beginning. Yeah, and so I feel like for guys like us, it's the need to be good at whatever we're doing. Mm. Yeah. And so yeah. when I wasn't good at it and everyone was saying like, "Oh, you're you know, you're too serious or you're too this I'm like I'm really not and so when I when I saw how bad at it that I actually was I was determined to want to be good at it from like a skill set
1: point of view it comes back to the competitive thing you're exactly this is really like therapy right now for yeah. me because <laughs> you are you realize i remember being the chef who would go out to line up and would tell my and this is years and years ago when it was like emerald live and I'd be like you know these guys with their names on their jackets and their shows and they go bam and they yeah. throw down they're not real chefs and then like it's funny now because that's how people feel about me um, but it's hard to do that to perform like an emerald or even a Rachel Ray. I all of these people who sometimes get a little shit right for being great performers. Um, that's a skill set because I feel like the
3: people that knew that because you're now introduced to a lot of people really fast. Mm. So then that's immediately what they know you as, but they didn't know you before that. And that's the part that I want to challenge the people that say – like if you th- uh, – Emerald's a good example. He wasn't really good at TV when he first started out. Right. And then he just stayed at it, stayed at it, stayed at it, and then all of a sudden he got good at it. And now he's great at it. But – um, yeah, I, you're right, Chef. I think it's just a matter of, of the, tr- the determination of wanting to do something better. But also look at all the opportunities that we're given. And I'm not just talking about like the money that we can make or the projects we get to do or the famous people we get to hang out with or whatever. I'm talking about like look at all the good we do for charities and stuff like that. Right. You don't – like yeah. people show up to these events because guys and girls like us that have done these things in entertainment are going to be there. And then they buy these high price tickets to come and see us. And then all of a sudden, that money and all that work and all that stuff, it's doing good. Like,
1: it's right. doing real, it's doing really good stuff for Power. people. Yeah, it's powerful. Um, so, doing good for people. Speaking of that, now you're on sort of the other side where you're you're a mentor, you're a teacher, and you you might be the only you're you one top chef, like we said, but then you also, one of your old sous chefs, then came on Top Chef and one, May, Three, May three of them. Yeah. Three of them. Really? Yeah. So, hung, Hung, Kevin Spraga, and May. Right. Okay. So, oh wow. So this is even a deeper question <laughs> yeah, than so I when thought. When you
2: talk about family trees, like so, a chef
1: family, like tree, you actually right? have your own family tree. Like you're the top of the, like you're the roots of the tree. Um, what is the that, that that's a lot of problems well, if, 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 you, if
2: you cut off his tree? I mean, because he mentioned Jose Andres. Well, of like, course, if you cut off his tree, start a new underground, tree underground,
1: yes. they might be the truffles of that tree. <laughs> but as it's sprouting, so you've you've spawned three top chef winners, yeah. That's crazy, um, it's weird. It, are, it's are you, I mean, you, you 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 know, most people would say you're the you know, the best top chef oh, winner I that's go ever back. been wanna, in I the I game. i want to go
2: back because I didn't even know, huh?
1: Most people say that about you, too. And most people say yeah, that the yeah, two, two of us that's why it's never happened because we're never gonna give
3: the people what the people want.
1: Oh, Okay, so we got to go right. We got to go before we get into the family tree. So then that's the – we might as well just get it, chop it up on the table right now. Will there ever be a Top Chef Champions League where it's a season of only people have won? And in all fairness, I'm getting goosebumps because that's my competitive drive saying that. What do you think? Could it happen? I think it, the, I'm sure that there's
3: people that want it to happen and I'm sure the discussions happened. It's just, I mean, that's a really busy group of people too. Right. And you Take them yeah. away from all the stuff they're doing right now that's to force true. that. That's it might true. have to be like a hybrid situation, but I think it could be cool for sure.
1: It could be cool, but it would like a lot of people like I've lost already. So like my ego is like, I'm, I'm used to it being bruised, but for a lot of people it would be tough. Cause again, I mean, yeah.
2: first time
1: uh, everyone's a champion until the end of that season. Right. <laughs>
2: Well, and as soon as you go into something like that, then you're you're not a a winner anymore, right? If you, if you I, don't well, win, no, I I feel like
1: it. it's different because again, I'm a different perspective because I won and lost, but it's like a championship in a sport. Once you win, you're always yeah. a Super Bowl
3: champion for sure. And I think as long as, but again, there's egos involved, and there's I mean, our right. feelings gonna be I don't know. <laughs>
1: I don't know if I could win. I don't know. I'd be... You'd be the favorite. You could, dude, Vegas no would have you at like... <laughs> I mean, 2-1. Like, up. you'd be the top. You'd be the absolute favorite. There's no question about it. Yeah. Um, and I say that with my ego, like, sp- pouring out of my mouth right now. I would say the same for you. So. Uh, well, you're, you're just being... You're, you're being <laughs> kind. But then you'd have to go up against these chefs that you trained, Hung, Kevin, and Mei Lin, and what you would just... I mean, that would be a little... That would be a nice little side story if that season ever happened. Yeah,
3: and I, th- I don't know. I think it's more fun to talk about it than actually go through it. I
1: think you're right. I think you're right. <laughs> well, I think it's better. It sort of goes back to like the baseballs. Like what if Barry Bonds and Babe Ruth <laughs> well, like a, Yeah, season. it's like
3: getting all the old people together. It's yeah. like we could just spar a little. That'd yeah. be okay. I don't want to get
1: hurt though. A charity fight. <laughs> yeah. Um, a, a wrestling match uh, perhaps – Um, so family tree though. So do you feel like that's a responsibility now that like when someone comes to work with you, do they, I guess what I'm saying, do people have aspirations? Like, Hey, I want to work for you. I want to win top chef. I want to get a beard award. Some of
3: them do. Uh, Most of them, most, I mean, all the people in the kitchen with us want to be in the kitchen and have a career in the kitchen. And so we don't, we don't have a lot of career cooks. In fact, we don't have really any, um, most of them are people that want to be chefs. And so we're, we're very fortunate. The problem with that is you can't open up opportunities for them fast enough and so if you don't have another restaurant on the horizon you're training them for somebody else
1: right so what speaking about um, restaurants on the horizon what do you have upcoming Brian and I have a huge restaurant – huge,
3: I say, because it's 11,000 square feet, Phew. give or take, in Miami, uh, opening in November.
1: Oh, called, we were going to ask about called that. called Monger. Yeah. Monger, right? Yeah. yeah. Um,
3: that is a cool project because we're building a kitchen basically for every station. So the vegetable kitchen will have stuff for cooking and making – like there will be a cold-pressed juicer in the vegetable kitchen. Right. Mm-hmm. The meat station has wood-burning grill. The There's a – there's a wood-burning oven that we've yet to determine exactly what's going to be used. The word pizza has been thrown out, but we're not really pizza chefs, so I'm sure it'll become more of like a breads and spreads type thing. But, right. So every station is being designed for the ingredient that'll come out of it. And so when you order from the menu, order that way too. Are they separa- are the kitchen the-
1: separated physically in the space? They're
3: separated but joined and then they meet at a pass in the middle that has a hallway. And so that's also the same hallway that the guests enter the restaurant through. Mm-hmm. So they walk through and see all of this craziness going on. And so it's you you order your food like you shop in a grocery store. Like I'll have the sweet potatoes with the with the short rib. But they're going to come out, you know, that sort of small plate kind of thing, but Not small plates, just food that hits the middle of the table and you eat it like you're sitting around eating with your family. You know, and Brian and I are family, and so. When we go out to eat as chefs, we order 10 different dishes and we all pass them around the table and share them. We still want to create that same sort of thing. I'm
1: wondering us. if like I'm – lo- I'm thinking about what that contract looks like for you and your brother. <laughs> so is it one of those things where you could just be like one of us will be here two days uh, a quarter or whatever it is? <laughs> well,
3: that is out. the good part of it is these, <laughs> right? these deals that we do, we, we get to split the the duties and so that's always that's good.
1: Nice, yeah. It. Back to the brother thing. I think that to me is the most – like appealing thing like when I saw your your name on the on the set list for like Bottle Rock and it's like the Voltaggio brother like it's just it just sounds... I wish he was a manager though it'd be a lot better if he was like <laughs> because we're
3: still not good at like keeping that role filled you know it's right. like we need I think every like if you look at like Will and uh, Daniel from Eleven Madison yeah. Nomad and all that they're like no one can mess with those dudes like those guys it's like the best front of the house guy and the best back of the
1: house guy tackling right. the industry right now and it's yeah. like we're still looking for like that so is it because of the con- like the contrast of their positions ones in the front of the house ones in the back of the house it's like you have a
3: chef in the front and a chef in the back a partner in the front a partner in the back right. and I think it's it, you know that's the one thing that we're probably not missing but trying to foster with the people that we have now and identify
1: exactly has, has anyone tried be. to like create that like have you ever had a manager because I'm thinking like there's a certain like boy band element of it it's like well <laughs> you know it would be great if one of you did really simple simple rustic food and then you do modern food and then you shave your head you have long hair like right. has anyone Is tried like to manipulate to the brand
2: differentiate
1: I think it allows us to cover more ground
3: and that's what it does for instance like volt right now brian's flagship right two of my old chefs from Inc are there working for brian so and vice versa so now we share a lot of staff and send them back and forth to each other and that, we found that to be beneficial because there's certain things that happens in brian's kitchen that i want to learn but i'm not going to go like stodge at brian's restaurant <laughs> right so if i can hire one of his guys they can come and learn what i'm doing and then send, send him one of mine and they can he can learn sort of what We're doing, we're sharing everything. And to me, that's the number one thing I think that's cool about the industry now is that, like, people stopped keeping recipes as secrets. Like, we're all sharing everything. And I think. That's awesome because it's just getting better and better and better. And by the way, if you don't give them the recipe, they're going to go find it on the internet somewhere eventually anyway.
1: Well, now, right? Like I, I even remember because I'm old, but like actually working at the French Laundry before there was a French Laundry cookbook and like that moleskin was coveted. Yeah. And then like the book comes out a year later and you're like, oh man, what did I? I, just, <laughs> I, I had have so old thumb drives
3: of photographs of people's notebooks from other restaurants. That's, that's how like, that's how we all, <laughs> yeah. yeah, we used to trade <laughs> yeah. recipes. We're like, oh, right. you work at this restaurant? Cool. I'll trade you a couple French laundry recipes for a couple Charlie Trotter recipes. I'll meet you on the quarter of 49th.
1: It was I like that, though. Yeah. Um, Internet. Listen, uh, here's something that we we like to have. Uh, well, no, actually... I was just – I was realizing this. If you have trouble with just one brother, you could throw me into the mix because I think I've shared this with you and Brian before. Every once in a while, I'll be at an event and because we live in the same world, whatever, the the average Top Chef fan will be like, oh, what's your brother up to? I don't have a brother. So like I know that like – We got to get you some tattoos. I'm like like the third brother sometimes and I think like we could work that like almost like the Wahlbergs, right? where it's like like, you You guys are the two famous ones and I'm like the guy running the burger spot but (laughs) like we could kind of we should come up with some sort of parody where it's
3: like well Brian and I we could be like Casey and Ben Affleck and you could be Matt Damon so, oh okay well, we could do that no, right. we can, they, the people just yeah.
1: even might just think we're related they just assume work together yeah. a lot yeah, totally um, I think that would work though I think we <laughs> I'd have to figure out like what my angle is though I don't know yeah. if I'm cool enough to be, to be, uh, to be honest <laughs> um, Michael listen uh, w- one we want you to come back first of all for sure and I think we're going to ask Brian to come back and then we should do one with both of you. Yeah, he's going to be here next week, actually. Oh, really? Okay. Well, maybe we can for set something up. For you stalkers out there. Yeah. For you stalkers, Brian Bottascio is going to be in the Los, Los Angeles, Angeles. area. Uh, follow his in Twitter. In Laurel Canyon. Um, he's, he keeps his GPS on for all of those looking to find him. Uh, we like to play a couple little games near the end of the pod, uh, and this one is uh, special for you uh, and your brother, Brian. Uh, this game is called... Voltaggio Bros versus. Okay. <laughs>
2: we actually pitched this already, so this is just this is, it's also, yeah, it's a it's surprise to me. It's, a, it's, a, it's Let, an idea. I'm ready. Right?
1: No, You have no idea that this happened, but we have polled uh, some of our avid fans and listeners. and uh, We've created these challenges, these um, sort of surreal challenges that might happen between you and your brother versus other. Famous Brothers, and I want you to let us know if you think you guys would win this specific challenge. So the first challenge is the Voltaggio Brothers versus the Property Brothers. They have a show on HGTV. They they remodel houses. And the challenge is remodeling a kitchen. Who would win the challenge, Voltaggio Brothers versus Property Brothers?
3: Oh, man. Brian's remodeling his own kitchen himself right now. Uh, I designed mine. You know, Property Brothers, we'd have a good, I think, collaboration, though. We'd design it and they'd build it. Um,
1: Our viewers said it would be a
3: tie. Wow. Yeah, yeah because so they must some, know about kind of said the same yeah. thing. Yeah, yeah, they must
1: know that he's. Um, and then our viewers also suggested that it should go to a dance off right. in, in the effect <laughs> of a tie. Yeah. Yeah. And then, I, you know, they to would be win. honest, I've seen you. <laughs> they, they would win? They would win. <laughs> I've seen you at the Spasmatic Show in uh, Aspen. That's uh, you, just me being free. <laughs> 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 All right, but we'll, we'll leave it at a tie. Uh, next one. This one's going to require a little bit of backstory. Um, it's the Voltaggio Brothers verse. The Potash Twins. Ooh. Now, the Potash Twins are jazz musicians who roll in the Andrew Zimmern clique. Yeah. yeah. Like a hip-hop group. A they just yeah. roll with Andrew Zimmern. Uh, so they're like classical jazz musicians. They're awesome kids. They're young. But listen, the competition is Voltaggio Brothers versus Potash Twins in Backyard Wrestling. Ooh. Ooh, Backyard you Wrestling. Know,
3: I just spent some time with those guys in Aspen.
1: Cool guys. Brian and I would take them. Yeah. Uh, I think you got them on reach. Uh, listen, like. you got them on reach, perhaps— everyone agrees yeah, yeah everyone agrees <laughs> although that's one I actually kind of want to set up I would yeah. rather Brian and I have one each on our shoulders yes. and have like the chicken, chicken fight, fight thing going on Oh, geez, oh that's ooh. Have set up. like yeah, a the, mashup well, I'll I, take one he takes the other I kind of like just... that and so you're on top of Brian's shoulders then no no no, no, no. 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 we'll, take, we'll split. split the Potash twins split them up and the, so okay wow so you got the Potash brothers up. on your shoulders yeah I like I'm that I'm gonna
2: put that in the treatment
1: I think and we do that one in a pool in Vegas we could sell tickets to that alright next one this one's tough Voltaggio brothers versus Luke and Owen Wilson in improv. In Ooh. improv on stage. Ooh. I got to <laughs> give that one to the Wilson brothers. This one is going to the Wilson brothers. Yeah. Uh, and one of our viewers said only because they saw Brian's acting in the Thanksgiving special. I don't know what that means. <laughs> but they think that's the only reason why Luke and Owen will win the improv battle. Uh, okay, next one. This is one of my personal favorites because I'm a big sports guy. Voltaggio brothers versus the Manning brothers Mm. in the challenge of overall success. Oh Manning! Oh my brothers gosh, for sure! Oh dude, okay. So you're saying I don't Manning think anyone brothers.
3: can even touch those guys right now. Listen, I haven't mean, they
1: both won the Super Bowl? That's true. That's true. Uh, Peyton Manning <laughs> is heading to the Hall of Fame. There's no question about yeah. it. Um, our viewers, though, they said the Voltaggio brothers are winning this one. They're not sports fans yeah. they're at not all. Sports fans, perhaps, <laughs> here on starving for uh, attention. Uh, they're saying Eli is bringing down the the, the ratings on the Manning mm. brothers' side. Uh, so Voltaggio brothers win in champions, and this is the last one, uh, the finale. Uh, Voltaggio Bros. Versus the Voltaggio brothers. I like this Verse Versus the Bayless brothers, Skip and Rick Bayless, who, if people don't know, Skip Bayless is a sports commentator. Rick Bayless, one of the best chefs in America, cooks Mexican food. And the challenge is The Amazing Race. Oh, Brian and I have that one. Yeah. The Amazing Race. So yeah. Michael's pretty confident. He thinks yeah. he's got this one. And. You're right, Michael. Yes. Our viewers say that the Voltaggio brothers have beat the Bayless brothers because of irreconcilable differences between the Bayless brothers. They just don't, don't even finish. Uh, who I, who had, they could the not DNF. get out of yeah. the airport in Mexico City <laughs> uh, on the first round. Uh, thanks for being a sport, dude. My pleasure. Uh, last thing we like to do here on Starving for Attention is a game we call 86.
0: Get it out of here. It's 86
1: uh, like in the kitchen, 86 means we're out of something. we're over it. we're done with it. What are one or a few things that you're you want to 86 in your world? The
3: term food trends
1: Ooh. I'm, I'm glad glad ready it, for
3: that to go away.
1: I think so because of
3: things like you said molecular gastronomy earlier, you know let's stop talking about that or or like for instance, things that disappear off of menus because everyone starts to use it. Uh, I use the pork belly as an example of this. Uh, what's there's nothing wrong with pork belly, but at some point it was like, oh yeah, everyone's making pork. Be- kale, like <laughs> kale, is like so good for you, right? But because kale became overused and a quote food trend, people are now afraid to put kale on their menu. So wow. now the food that we actually the most popular stuff. Goes away because of food trends.
1: I love that answer. Yeah. Right. If you like it and it's delicious, keep it on the menu. Everyone so- should have a kale Caesar salad on their menu. I agree. I'm going to go totally tell my agree. partners that because it's we? something we fight Can about we actually. Track track that? Um, we okay. can I think so I love, um, I love that food trends taking something off the menu just because you saw a pork belly on the Marriott menu in Kansas City doesn't mean you should take it off <laughs> doesn't make it bad your cool hip restaurant menu in Los Angeles or New York Michael Voltaggio you are awesome dude I'm a big fan uh, thanks for listening to Starving for Attention by the way we have a new Podcast One app you can go on yeah. there and download it and, in the uh, app store Get in, get down with the community is what they say. There's no other podcast app like this. I mean, download the new Podcast One apps now in the App Store or on Google Play. Find out everything about your favorite shows and get more content for my show, Starving for Attention. Find articles, social media, episodes, make playlists. It's easy to comment and connect with other show fans. We have our own little community on here. Hey, listen, it's easy to comment and connect with other show fans because we have like our own little community on there. Share your favorite content. See behind the scenes photos. I hope they don't show that one. Actually get 360 video or watch a bunch of shows in virtual reality. There's over a thousand videos on there right now. It's like you're in the studio. It looks so cool with so many things you can do, including fun things like rewards for listening. I need rewards. You know, the rewards I need Jasmine, I need, subscriptions yeah I need people to go to the podcast one app. they need to download "Starving for attention uh, those are the kind of rewards I need this is amazing for our fans come jump in jump in, go to the Podcast One app, download uh, the new experience because that's what it is. Uh, You can find us on Apple Podcasts. When you do go there, make sure that you subscribe and rate us because uh, the higher our ranking, the more episodes we'll be able to produce. And then I can convince superhero chefs like Michael Voltaggio uh, to come visit us. Uh, Stay tuned until next week and stay hungry. Thanks for listening to Starving for
0: Attention with Richard Blaze. Listen to new episodes every Tuesday on the Podcast One app or subscribe now at Apple Podcasts or podcast
2: Hey everyone, it's Caitlin Bristow. You can listen to my show off the vime with Caitlin Bristow every Tuesday on Podcast One. Hear me take on taboo topics and unfiltered advice. I'll also be dishing with some amazing celebrities. Oh, and did I mention there'll be wine? So grab
0: a glass and join me every Tuesday on podcast1.com, the new Podcast One app, or subscribe on Apple Podcasts.